Gregory, I want to talk to you about something I was just kind of thinking about. Um, because I was just kind of, you, you and I both share an interest in psychology. And yes, an armchair interest in psychology. An armchair interest. So again, yeah. we're not psychologists. Don't yes. take this. Although out. I did teach uh, AP Psych for, I don't know, six years or something. Yeah. So you may or may not be familiar with this, but uh, there was a Stanford study done a while ago. It's not the marshmallow one. It's a different one. Um, where they took children who were interested in art. They were, you know, the children like to draw and paint for fun. That's what they did. Uh, and they pulled them into the study, and what they started doing was they were rewarding them for when they painted and drew with gold stars. Uh, and then what happened over, of course, is the children get used to being rewarded for the thing they were just, you know, pursuing independently. Then they take away the gold stars. And what they happened then saw was the children stopped uh, or at least decreased the amount of time they spent writing and, or sorry, not writing, but drawing and you know painting, you know on their own volition. They had gotten, in other words, the dopamine had kind of rewired itself a little bit uh, towards the reward, as opposed to being intrinsically rewarded by the activity mm -hmm. and therefore, um, you know, pursuing it more often and fully and just getting more enjoyment from it. What it made me think about uh, as a core corollary to uh, writing and, and art making is that there's a kind of interesting weird irony in the art life I think where as you kind of you know get into it because you love it and you're pursuing it and you're you know just actively enjoying the activity and then what happens of course is you start you know try to put your stuff out there in whatever form and you start to get rejection mm. Right, either you get it from your friends or your family, or just literally from editors, uh, experts, you know, or other professionals, and so on. You start to get the rejection, and uh, you know there are sort of two things that happen, or three things that happen, I suppose, in that scenario. Now, from a psychological standpoint, that kind of rejection is what's known as punishment. Like Skinner would call it punishment, right? Um, you're being punished for your activity, and so some people. Uh, respond to punishment by you know ceasing the activity so some people just stop they can't handle the rejection in other words other people though persist in spite of the rejection they just are, find it more enjoyable to continue the activity but what they do is they stop sending their work out so they maybe pursue you know their writing or art making as a personal activity but they don't they, they quit trying professionalists, so they don't necessarily, they don't pursue a career anymore, but they're still doing it, right? Um, and there's also, though, this class of people that persist despite the rejection at the professional activity and, you know, the personal activity. Eventually, they start to succeed. Now, I think the interesting irony about that is what you start to get into is a situation where now, instead of punishment, you're being rewarded. Uh, and what I've kind of noticed uh, among people is that and especially if you I think you especially see this distance when you have an aspiring kind of writer talking to a more established writer what you'll notice is that like the more established you get and the more success you have the more you kind of um, it's not that you stop enjoying the activity per se but that it's easy to get caught up in those rewards and whether or not you're having success and it's almost becomes in some ways you become extrinsically motivated uh, by their, you know, your career. So when you're when you're doing well, it's almost a catch twenty two. <laughs> you know, you're the very thing that's you know uh, helping you or the very signs of success in your career are potentially sowing the very seeds of kind of destroying your career. 
um, because you know it's just you're moving to that extrinsic reward system potentially. And I've seen that happen to people, um, right? Where you, they yeah. just are so caught up, like they, they kind of stagnate creatively, um, in, in a way. I have a lot to say on this topic, um, but let me just reframe it. Not even reframe it. Let me summarize what I think you're getting at. You tell me if this is, if I'm understanding the question buried in this observation. Um, number one, we have there's a there's a big difference be, difference between encouragement and reward. So if you have a group of anybody's doing anything, and once you observe behavior, you reward them for it. Here's your gold star. Oh, you're writing. Here's a gold star. Oh, you're writing. Here's a gold star. Oh, you're writing. Here's a gold star. Then they associate the effort with the reward. And when you remove the reward, then now they feel shame instead of fulfillment. If instead you were simply encouraging them to do more, oh, you're writing? Amazing, good job. Can you do some more? Can you do some more? Hey, this has improved. Oh, look it, when we compare today's work to yesterday's work, I see that you have improved. That's amazing. You, you just keep that up. Now encouragement replaces reward because encouragement does not put a period at the end of that sentence, if you'll pardon the metaphor. But right? it puts a comma in there and it's a big run-on sentence, right? So uh, grammar people, forgive me for this clumsy metaphor, but what you don't want to do is say, and you're done with that gold star. You want to say, what comes next? What comes next? What that's not what next? the industry is. If you no, have no, any no. success, I know, I know. then so you're now, going to get gold stars. Right. So if you, this is me personally now. I started, when I started submitting, I was able to reframe my rejections as gold stars. When I read and, and heard all of the different writers whom I admired talk about how um, I collected this many rejections, this many rejections before. I looked at myself and I said, I've never had that many rejections. I need to now collect at least that many rejections before I get down on myself. Because these were people whom I admired saying, oh, well, once I got my 50th rejection, I thought maybe the story's no good. And I'm like, wow, I've never submitted my work to be peer-reviewed 50 times. How can I claim to have learned enough about writing if I haven't at least gone through the process of receiving rejection. So I started framing it as, and this is again the birth of email, the birth of easy submissions. So I was like reading these accounts of people who had to send laborious letters and wait for months to receive the rejections. And like, I was like, listen, Gregory, they invented this tool called the internet with this thing called email. So I can start receiving rejections much faster than any of my heroes ever received rejections. So I'm going to collect as many of these gold stars, my rejections, as possible. I just reframed what the task was. What you're getting at, um, how do you deal with punishment and survive? That's, I think that's an interesting topic, and I agree with you. I did a similar thing reframing my rejections. I've written about uh, reframing rejection. I think I did a whole podcast on that as well. So you can Google my name, Jonathan Ball, and reframing rejection. You'll find a bunch of information, like exactly what Gregory is talking about. I 100% agree. But what I'm getting at is how do you deal with the rewards? Uh, the, the, the punishment, it's not our punishment, but like the, the, the kind of 
unfortunate reality of our psychological system is that as you start getting rewarded for succeeding, you know, and you become good as a writer and you start to get published, you start to get, you know, positive feedback. Um, you actually can get, it's very easy, your psychology is hardwired to put you into a feedback loop where you stop it's getting intrinsic rewards from the activity itself. It's, you know, so it's, it's very easy and, you know, everything is going towards two things. One, you're getting extrinsically rewarded and it's easy to get hooked on the extrinsic reward whether you realize you are or not. Okay, but, but two, hold on. Hold two, on. Gregor, before you jump thing. to two, before you jump to two, how, what kind of rewards are we talking about? Anything that you, so, so one reward would be you have your work accepted. You have your work published. You get, uh, but those aren't rewards. Those are just, uh, to me. Well, to maybe me. not to you, but this is the To me, those key. aren't For rewards. most people, these are rewards. Those are simply the checklist of the job. So that's how I, I think, tried to avoid it personally, is I reframed it all as like, my job it includes getting rejected, it includes getting accepted. Yeah, so what I, what I do is I say, I have the job as a writer and illustrator. In my day-to-day -day job, I mean, we can look at the project board over there. In my day-to-day -day job, it includes sending out things, collecting rejections, reviewing acceptance, seeing contracts, these are just things I have to do in order to accomplish my job. They're not rewards uh, to me. Sure. They're just what you do. The same way that if you, uh, you know, if you're working, let's say you're a stockbroker, right? You receive the trade, you review the trade, you send it off. That's not a reward that you receive that trade. That's part of your job. If you're a school teacher, it's not a reward that someone handed in their homework. It's part of your job. It's part of your job to correct and give feedback. It's not a reward that you manage to walk into the door of your job. You're not instantly paid by walking into the door of your job. It's part of the contract that you're under. So you have to also have get a literal award. Like this is the thing that I find interesting. We were talking to David Robertson the other day because mm. he, we were at the con and he popped over to do some signing and stuff. He a man right who has received me. every award well, you can well, receive. He made a joke. I was like, oh, I said, I introduced him to my daughter who's been him before, but just a reminder of who he was because he cuts hair and was wearing a tooth and stuff. So I was like, oh, this is Dave Robinson. You know, he's won the Governor's Honors Award. And he's like, I won too. And he just kind of, but it just, you know, but David doesn't give a shit how many awards he won. Yeah. Like he, you know, he's a guy because like that. He's a man of integrity. Yeah. And, but, and also good humor. But I also like, we were remembering the time that we were sitting at the awards ceremony for the Manitoba Book Awards. And I was, me, me and him, I was saying to Jesse, oh, you know, you met him before. You were at, he was sitting next to us at that award when I won that. Crime Wave Award, remember? Because <laughs> right. I, had, I had published this book called John Pays' Crime Wave, which won this you know, big award in Manitoba. But the whole thing was me and Dave were making fun the whole night of the idea that I would possibly win the award because it was ridiculous. I was up, it was like a nonfiction academic book, and I was up against like David Bergen, you know, like a Gilder Prize, and a bunch of people. Now, I won the award, but you know, I'm not going to get a big hit about it because I understand how those awards work, and I won the award basically on a fluke. They couldn't decide between other people, so they settled on like their second best. Well, choice. we don't know any of that. That's no, the, we don't know that. But that's that's the politics and the reality of how it's. Here's works. the here's another way to think about it. Don't get too excited about anything that happens by accident. Well, yeah. So I mean, right? it, it's, it's on accident. purpose in a sense, but like it's a good book and everything. Like I'll, you know, I, no, I, the things that like, were up to you were yeah, research the book, write the book. Submit the book for the award. Those are the only things yeah. that you have control over. Beyond that, everything else is now 
but it is a career where you can literally get awards. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, like, and I've and it's re- easy, I think. Sure. And I've received get, many, and, and I them. love it when it happens. But all that's happening is that I'm playing the lottery. And the price of the ticket in that instance is you had to do the research, you had to work on the book, you had to finish the book, you had to submit it for publication, and it had to exist in the world in order to be reviewed. That was the ticket cost, right? So, so of course, you're going to play the game if you have the tickets. If someone says, you know, we're going to play a 50-50 draw, do you want some tickets? You buy the tickets and you hope for the best. This is what publishing is. Everyone who's bought a 50-50 ticket in any of those awards, like if you take um, the Nebula Award, what they all have in common is they finished the book, right? They handed it in. Uh, somebody liked it enough that it got reviewed favorably enough to be presented to the awards committee. After you turned it in, none of that was up to you. Well, my kind of question, I think, in this all really is, you know writing or art making like if you're going to professionalize and try to make a career out of it at any level you're now sort of in a career uh where if you're doing well even in small ways you're constantly getting this reward feedback that you have to not pay attention to (laughs) and so and how do you do that? Like, I mean, again, I think I've, you and I are kind of similar in, in this where we've, okay, I have a story. we've gotten good at reframing a little bit. I have a story. So my grade one, and I mean, technically this is a matter of public record, but uh, so people could look this up if they were clever enough. But um, my grade one and two teacher, Miss Joanne Wilson, whom I love deeply for the efforts that she made to kindle the little flame of creativity that I had. Um, Much of that work was erased by the efforts of my grade three and four teachers, whom through systematic and careful attention tried to break me of habits that included using my imagination, expressing myself, or doing anything with my time that wasn't what they prescribed I do with my time. And I can remember very clearly in my grade four class, a teacher, once I'd handed in a worksheet, marking the worksheet probably got, actually I think I remember, it was like four out of 12 on the worksheet, turned over the worksheet and saw a drawing of a dragon on a hoard of treasure that I had drawn. Flames bursting out, something I'd seen probably in the back of a heavy metal magazine, right? and said, wow, this is really great. And then turned it back over and wrote F on the other side of the paper (laughs) and handed it to me. That's such a great metaphor. (laughs) So we're not gonna receive the rewards we want for the efforts that we put in. So you need to separate yourself. But you might, that's the problem I think. What I knew, what I knew was that it being marked right there on the spot meant I got the drawing back. Right? If it had gone into the pile, I would have never seen it again. And so I still have that. My mom kept that drawing. Right? And when she passed, I got this bin of stuff that she had kept from my childhood. And in amongst these things was this paper with an F on it and the drawing of the dragon that she knew I was proud of. Right? So in the trajectory of your life, you're going to get extrinsic uh, attention on your work all the time. 
right? And you should only take the criticisms from the arenas of people who are in, who are standing on the sand with you, right? So the fact that a slush pile rejects you, that doesn't matter. There are thousands. Let's get off rejection for a second because I think uh, you're right. But at the same time, I think the problem people often, it's kind of a weird problem because I don't think people think of it as a problem. But you can get very easily caught up into a reward system where like people like your work and it's great and you're doing it and sharing it because you want people to respond to it. Sure. But it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And you also get, you know, because we do direct sales uh, through uh, public events that we do, there are these other things, these rewards, they're like little coupons, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, they have numbers 20 or 50 or 100 written on them and they're a, they're a, tangible reward for your efforts they're an award it's like oh i like this here is a coupon that coupon is a 20 dollar bill or a 50 dollar bill or a 60 or 60 bucks for three of them and you think to yourself ah they like it but you have to remind i come back after every show like that and i remind myself they haven't read it yet well was- all they did was buy it they haven't read it yet. But even, you know, we ha- I had, so I-, I tabled at my first con the other day uh, alongside Gregory. And um, it was a great moment where, uh, you know, this girl picks up uh, the one issue of the eye collector and then comes back the next day and is like in love with the eye collector, <laughs> you know? Like she's, you know, starry-eyed and I think she even had contact stars in her eyes. You yeah, know? that's right. She was con, wearing right? a cosplay of some sort, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um, she was like you know, obsessed with the eye collector now and wanted more eye collector. So that was really rewarding and I think on one hand there's nothing wrong with okay, being excited and enjoying that but on the other hand, you can get trained. But the reward is... I think that's a valuable reward because that person has no stake in it. They simply have seen what you see in the work. You get excited. And I mean, for your dear listeners, it's important that they know that whenever we were turning in issues of the eye collector, one of my favorite moments in the review process, I was mentioning this to Lyndon, our letterer, is how excited Jonathan gets when it's working. Yeah, And the part of you that sees what's working, that turns back into an excited, um, the business hat flies away, the editor hat flies away, and you just say, oh, this, this is, this is the story, this is how it works. That's the part of her that connected with the work too. And that's what we're looking for, is we're looking for that connection, we want to be seen. That's the part, you know, if we want to get uh, sentimental about it, that's the part that my mom put in that box for me, right? She saw the part that I was proud of, separate from the context of its creation, of its evaluation, right? This person, this this new fan of the work, sees it separated from all the chains of, say, a capitalist ideology or a uh, a fundamental uh, need to consume objects, and instead just went, oh, I get it. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, what's kind of funny about that is, like, that's an interesting note. Like, you can kind of maybe filter out the quote-unquote, you know, extrinsic element rewards that do really tie to the intrinsic reasons you're doing it. Like, um, and maybe they're worth more. Like, I remember getting a review for The Lightning of Possible Storms where the reviewer was, you know, 
they liked the book fine, but they were kind of critical of it too. But they were like pointing out things that I was doing in the book. And they were right. Like those are the things that I was doing in the book. And so I was really um, appreciated like getting that review, even though it wasn't the most, it wasn't, it was, it was a positive review, but like it was a bit of a mixed review, right? Um, but I liked that mixed review more than even getting a reward for the book, <laughs> like a literal award for the book. I actually forgot I had gotten the award one day until like somebody was mentioning how I, that book had won an award. I was like, oh yeah, the book did it with an award. Well, and I remember, you know, like, but, but like it didn't, like, you know, thanks to the award, I don't mean to sound like a jerk because I know people, you know, I'm not just You don't have to it, apologize for an but accomplishment, like, but you also. It doesn't really matter to me. That's right. Um, here's here's an observation I'll make from comic book land, right? In the graphic novel world, um, my two favorite kind of self-expressions, unintention, unintentional self-expressions about a love for the work happened at the most recent show also. Um, a young girl came up with a book I had written with uh, Justin Curry, Chasing Artwork, a book for young people tattered edges worn right um dust jacket lost and had me sign the book for the third time to draw yet another <laughs> drawing in it they just That's keep so bringing it to the show and it is one of their favorite yeah. objects and the, the parents saying like you know she just loves it you know you don't have to keep doing it you know i know you know they're saying like oh i think the reason you signed the books is as a like tangible thank you for buying it this may be a few too many thanks i said no she's done everything that she could ever need to do <laughs> to great. earn this right the same is true among adults so adults treat it differently adult fan i had an adult fan fly told me disclosed they brought a copy of a graphic novel i had done in pristine condition asked me very carefully if i could open it and not open it all the way and do a sketch on the inside of it and then they put it back into a little case told me they had flown from another city to come to the con and there were two things they wanted they wanted bruce campbell's autograph and they wanted me to write in this book and those were the two main reasons that they had come to the show and those things don't make me any money they don't put me on any awards list they don't do anything all they do is they tell me that the work i did for months and months and months where i asked myself Will anyone see it the way I see it? They prove to me that you can. That it is possible to present your idea in such a way that another person sees it and connects to it over time and space. Like, let's just frame that as it Stephen should. Stephen King called that. Right? Uh, it's telepathy. Stephen yeah. King calls it, you know, writing the telepathy, right? Like, you're basically transferring your idea to another person. Now, he's a better writer, a clearer space, writer. Yeah. Right? What I'm talking about is just there's a moment in every project where I love it deeply. And then all those other extrinsic things kind of blunt that and force me to break up with it and move on. They haven't had any of those things and they still see it in that pure way. And that's the part that's connecting. And that's the part where you say to yourself, that is your job as an artist to remind people that this feeling of joy, wonder, connection, excitement, uh, childlike bliss for no reason can't tan can't monetize it can't make it tangible but if i locked right? you in a room gregory yeah i'd make things anyway you'd make things so but like how do you um square that 
with the appreciation for somebody else's reaction to it. Um, when I first started out, um, it turns you into a narcissist. So you have to... Right? It's very right? easy to, to yeah. that to happen. I've seen it happen to people. So what I had going for me was um, a very stable, loving relationship with a wife who can see the good parts and bad parts of me and would point out, right, sometimes when you come back from shows, you're different than the person I fell in love with. Like grounding kind of factor. Yeah. yeah. And so like what is it that causes you to behave this way? Maybe, right, you're getting a big head about the wrong thing. My friend right? Suzette is up for the Giller Prize right now. So by the time you hear this, it'll probably be announced whether she won or not. But she was being toured around, you know, the country by the Gillers and everything. She's yeah. on the shortlist. And uh, so he was, she was here in Winnipeg and uh, I went to go, you know, see her at the event. And I was saying to her, like, how are you dealing with everyone praising you? Because she's, like, not much for getting praised. You know, yeah, she sure. just likes to buckle down and be in her little box and do it's the It's fair work. to say, I think, that many of the Giller Prize nominees are, like, weaponized introverts. Yeah, right. Right. But, yeah, it's like, you know, she, she, but she's... I think even like one of those people who's uncomfortable when getting praise, you know, to a certain degree. So she's like, you know, appreciating the, the ride, I'm sure. But like, just very like, Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think you have to sort the praise? I, that's what I do. Like if someone goes, ooh, I loved your book and they don't write, then I accept the praise as um, I told a serviceable enough story. That they were entertained. And that's a certain amount of praise. Well, that's good. I can take that. I'll take that gold star. But there's another kind. When a writer or a person who also creates and has labored comes and says, you know that third act thing? I don't know if you really landed it. Like I was all in until the third act and then the elevator door closes and I was like, oh, you missed an opportunity. That is also praise to me. Because they're paying attention. Because they're paying attention to the craft. See, I almost like look at it like what I'm trying to do always is engineer an audience reaction. Sure. Trueing a lot of specific things to get specific reactions in specific places. So when I get that reaction, I find it very you know rewarding. When I don't get that reaction, I don't find it rewarding. <laughs> so. I, on a level like I don't really care whether people I I, so I think it's sometimes comes across weird when I say this to people but like I don't care whether people are excited about the book or like it or not or love it or whatever I want to know did I do it properly in my mind like did I engine did I properly construct the book uh, like that's I'm looking for feedback that determines whether or not I did it right uh, and that may mean you hate it on a certain level. Sure. Well, I mean, you can have it. An example of that would be uh, there was when I was in Quebec. Uh, There's a language barrier. I don't speak any French. I had brought a friend with me to translate, and they were off getting lunch. So a woman comes, and the, basically what I can explain to them is I have some fantasy, I have some uh, superhero, and I have some horror stories on the table. And she says, ooh, fantasy, ooh, superhero, yes, yes. Reaches for a book, opens it up. Her face scrunches up. She literally shook her head trying to like unsee a thing that she had seen in there. 
yeah. right? And I go, oh, I'm sorry, that's the horror book. And, you know, I don't speak French, but I could understand enough French to be like, I detest horror, right? Ugh, yeah, this my- one's bad. But to me, that was like the gold star. Someone who didn't expect right, it to be horror opened it up. Reading the book. That's what I mean. Yeah. And it was like, oh my gosh, that looks so scary or gross. I don't want to look in it anymore. <laughs> that's, the, that's the look you're after from a person who doesn't consume horror um, and it isn't appreciating it for the craft. They're just the, the salacious nature of it is what repels them, right? But that was, to me, a strong endorsement for the work, even though she was scared away from that section of the, of the book rack, right? Can you think of any just, I feel like it'd be nice to end up with just some kind of concrete um, ex- advice on how to do these sorts of reframing. So whether you're reframing your rejection or your punishment as, you know, uh, whether you're reframing your punishment in order to avoid being, um, you know, your creativity destroyed or whether you're reframing your praise in order to avoid, you know, your creativity being poisoned. Like, you know, do you have like things you do or things you have seen others do that really helps to keep the ex- intrinsic motivation? Yeah. Cause that's okay. the real difficulty. So I sometimes when I have to ways. talk myself down from the ledge, I remind myself that, um, uh, your major source of disappointment. So it goes like this. We've all heard this, right? Disappointment is the difference between uh, expectation and reality, right? That's where disappointment comes from. You expected one thing, you got another, you thought it was going to be so great, but it was just reality, and now you're disappointed. That comes from self-deception. And so I try to tackle my self-deception before I start a new project. And so this is what I, I will literally write this down. My wife sometimes finds, and my kids sometimes find, these notes that I will make either before a meeting or before I start a project where I've written down the thing I'd want most from it, right? And this is how I think about it. If you don't want to be deceived, know what you are hungry for. Write down all those things you are hungry for, all those things that you feel you're starved for, whatever those attentions are. Write them down. Look at them and recognize that there's a self-deception at work and that you will agree to anything in most cases that will allow you to feel like you're getting closer to that. You will not have discernment in any decision-making related to things that seem to present you what you're hungry for. Sure. I forget the term for that, but in psychology, I know they sometimes in CBT, I think it is, they advise you externalize and then look at the like the absurdity of these things okay so the only thing i'm dropping straight from the course now so i've just been using my own experience right i did teach ap psych for a long time wilhelm wundt is the first question on most of those ap psych exams he was the sort of considered the beginning of psychology as a profession and he was popularized by the notion that introspection is the key to health and i think if you look at any psychology it still boils down to this notion introspection is the key to health understand what your motivation is where it comes from look for the trigger of that motivation if you want to think about it in terms of chemical triggers dopamine fine where do you receive joy right and if you're going to receive a lot of joy when someone tells you i'm proud of you or i'm jealous of you 
or I'm impressed by you, or I saw your name in the paper, or I saw your name in a review, or I saw, you gotta watch out. Yeah. Because people can use that as a lever to separate you from your integrity, from your joy, from your love, from your family, from all those other things. You also have hedonic adaptation, which sure. you know, maybe you wanna to explain to people as the psych, previous psych. Uh, well, I mean, it comes down to this notion of hedonism, right? That we, uh, we, the basic constituent part is that you go towards pleasure and you go away from pain. But, right? And so those adaptations you make are all about getting well, more of the things you love. But specifically, uh, that if things are going well and nobody's weaponizing you know, your dopamine against you, if you're getting all the rewards that you seek, you can still have this flaw in your psychology, which uh, psychologists call hedonic adaptation, which is that you get used to the new level of reward. Uh, and then you seek a higher level of reward. You know, at a certain point, you know, you just—it's it's almost like being, um, uh, when, you know, in addiction scenarios. I mean, it is literally chemical uh, addiction to dopamine, and then you get used to that baseline, and you have to—you seek a new, higher baseline. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden, winning an award doesn't do it for you anymore. Uh, you need to—you know—you can't selling a thousand copies was your dream, but now you, you're not satisfied yeah, unless you sell ten thousand copies. Sure. So it's, it's dangerous to get caught up in that sweep. So there's a different. There's a. So all of psychology is about picking a group of psychologists that you decide these are the guys or, or people yeah. who know it and then deciding you're going to look at all problems through that lens. Another lens that looks at that hedonic idea looks at it from a perspective of mood congruency. Sure. It's our tendency to do this time whatever we did last time in the same situation right and our mood will now match it so if yeah, you sure. are disappointed by success then you're more likely when presented with success to to be um cynical of it in fact a lot of therapists will say if you're having a problem in your life just do the opposite of what you've been doing right and that's <laughs> not it's not the george costanza rule but, but that's the joke works. of it right it often works simply because sometimes we get caught into that mood congruent chain of events and so one mood congruency that i have to worry about in my in myself is that i love collaboration nothing gives me a better um dopamine hit than the first steps of a project where everyone is like laying their ideas out and then we find the places where ideas create a constellation and then you draw the little lines and you say this is what that looks like i love that and so where I have to be careful is if interesting people invite me to collaborate, my default answer is yes, because I so crave that. And so now I have to make sure that I don't, lately what I've been doing is I don't say yes to any collaboration. I only initiate collaborations. And that's how I've got some control over that. It used to be in my early career, anyone asked me to work on stuff with them, I'd be like, yeah, and you would just go running off after the new idea. Now I have a lot I'm trying to accomplish. And so now I look for people who I think have the capacity to do it. They will be fun to collaborate with. They are people of integrity uh, and honesty. And that's who I seek out. So that I'm not convinced by those other things I'm hungry for. Right? It's, it's the way I frame it. Right? When, so we did the She-Wolf together. We had done so much good work on the eye collector when you were saying, let's do this other thing. Of course, the answer is yes, because all those other gates were through. Right? So I get to unabashedly 
give in to my hunger for that new thing without worrying about all those other things I have to be careful of? Are they just going to take my time? Are they just uh, playing to my ego? Are they just um, trying to get me to do work for them that then they can take credit for? I don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. We've got that all figured out. So now we're just doing another thing and it's great. And you can see people who are involved with the same editors, the same publishers, the same filmmakers, the same actors. You can see it all happening where they realize who their people are so that they can chase those hungers safely. That's what a pack is, right? A pack goes after the thing they're hungry for and they all work together, right, to bring it down. That's what we're after, right? I'm just tying it to your she-wolf metaphor here. And speaking of tying things up with the She-Wolf, thanks for talking to me about this. And please check out She-Wolf at shewolf.ca. And keep writing the wrong way.